Welcome to Lore Citizen, a podcast dedicated to all things Star Citizen lore. If you enjoy this, make sure that you like, subscribe, and follow all of our social medias. Without further ado, let's Welcome back to a special edition of War Citizen. You've probably already heard our previous ones on battles and this, but this is another one that uh, the, the person, the individual who's with me today, I reached out and asked me asked to come on when I'm like, hey, this is perfect for, for Invictus. We're gonna get we're gonna get two Lore Citizen specials because I'm I'm a sadist and uh, I don't have life in me. So uh, <laughs> uh, as always, I'm Paul Shelley, uh, uh, owner operator of the Astro Pub. You know, like subscribe this video, like this video, subscribe to the channel, listen to all of the Lore Citizen podcasts. And of course, also uh, listen to all the Galactic Historians and stuff like that, because if you like lore, I got them. Twitch.tv slash the Astro Pub for content, as well as YouTube.com slash the Astro Pub. Now, my special guest, Tree. Who are you? What do you do in Star Citizen? Where can they find you? Hi, everyone. I'm Tree 0311 0311. I'm one of the Pathfinders um, with uh, Nazareth. We stream live on Twitch most Mondays um, at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, and what we do is basically we do you know, we review the monthly reports, we review the roadmap updates, but we also do deep dives into things related to the development of Star Citizen. Um, our, our thing is that so much of the development of Star Citizen is really hard to parse out. Um, you know call it nebulous and so that's what we like to do is go through find all the sources you know report back on questions that we have or the community has so that way you can have all the information you know make your own decisions form your own opinions and then we also you know give you our interpretation so that's what we do if you ever have a choice have a chance we'd love for you to join us live or or watch the videos they're hosted on nazareth's channel um I'm going to be streaming more often soon, uh, twitch.tv slash tree0311, as well as uh, looking forward to some future collaboration with Puppet over on Frontiers. So look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you should go to the Discord because me and Tree head butt heads a lot of, about a lot of more <laughs> stuff all the time. It's always it's always a good 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 fun, but we always we always do that. But the latest one is um, the 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 javelin inside Orison. Uh, how it, there's no way it should be able to make it into Orison, even though there the are just a couple things. little things, you know. And it's it's basically the uh, the the professor versus undergrad relationship. You know, <laughs> I, I've read I've read all the lore, but I don't have the the formal background and training that you know uh, Paul or Al you know have in these sorts of things. And so I was like, wait a minute, I read this, and you're like, no, here's the context. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, but he's right. He's the one who, who, uh, when I started talking about like a, a fairy, he's the one who, who, who said, uh, who, who taught me about marine uh, landing, marine landing transports or marine landing docks. And I'm like, There's oh several, yeah, those, yeah. Th those, those, those are those two things should go together. And then CIG released the the Liberator, and then they fucked up on half of the Liberator. So which they should have done. <laughs> We need bunks in that ship, CIG. Bunks for the crew. <laughs> More people need to be able to sleep in that thing. Anyways, uh, on, on to the actual topic for today. We're going to talk about, because uh, it's Invictus, uh, I wanted to talk about the two, um, the two most important branches, because sadly, the army is sad boy right now in terms of the <laughs> branch. There's just not much of, of the army to go around. They're, they're pretty much, we have the Nova tanks and we hold ground. But, you know, Star Citizen is, takes place in space, so... 
all of the space forces get the most uh, most glory. So we'll be talking about the Navy and the Marines today, uh, and I'm going to get started with the Navy. Um, so the thing to understand about the Navy in terms of its main role is that it is the largest branch of the UAE military. It is the it takes by far the most glory. It does the most things, but it has to because it plays a role of kind of in the United States, we have the Navy and we have the Naval Reserve and we have the Coast Guard. The Navy is like all three of those things. They actually have a Naval Reserve as well. Um, but the the Navy is the uh, is this huge branch that takes up a lot of. How to put it? Um, it, it takes up a lot of of real estate. It needs to be uh, the biggest and the most well-funded branch because it is the one that is on the front lines for most of the uh, the war, especially with the Vanduul. It, it takes the brunt. It transports every, every all of the other branches' materials, except for the Marines who sort of have their own branch. Um, but to get the context of like how the Marines or how the Navy works, the Navy starts uh, every single recruit gets uh, recruited on Invictus. Whatever year is Invictus. And that dates back to the first Tavarin War when the UPE just didn't have a military. They just didn't exist. So they needed to recruit one fast. And so they uh, called out for help. Gondor called for aid. And Rohan answered in way too many. Like, there's just too many people who showed up at uh, for, for that. So they had to figure that out. Now, there is a little discrepancy, because even in-game, they have different things from what they've recently said. So, to meld the two together, there was a base on Mars called Invictus, which was built specifically to train all of these new recruits, because the UP didn't have a military. They needed some place to train all of these people in extent, like these huge millions of individuals. And so, likely these they had transports, which were either called Invictus or they're named Invictus, maybe Invictus transports, because they were traveling to pick up recruits and take them back to Invictus base. And so Invictus became this kind of period where everyone would, uh, every new uh, Navy recruit would gather, they would get picked up and sent back around the same time, because anyone who knows, uh, you know, the military, they tend to ship out at a very specific ratio because you need to have a certain number of people you only have a certain number of instructors and it takes a certain amount of time to get through that uh, that training. And so that you, you don't want like too many people showing up at once. So this specific muster time, they would all get together, big send off, goodbye, good luck at war, and they went out to go train. And that tradition continued to this day, um, even though they don't really need to. But the, the base has moved from Mars to its current place in, uh, in Killian. It used to be on Magnus. That's a sore spot for those people who live on Magnus because it's not a Magnus anymore. But uh, it's now in, in, in uh, the Killian system and they, they train in what are called forges. Forges are where they forge new recruits. The, uh, and this is not just for the Navy, it's also for the Army and the Marines. The Army and the Navy get recruits, they show up, and then the best of the best get picked off by the Marines to go go train in the hellscape of Corrin. Uh, and survive, maybe. Um, and then it, it's a long process. It's, it's like a six-month process where they go through and figure out, uh, unlike other militaries, the, the actual process is you go through basic training, you go through effectively boot camp for a couple of weeks, and then after that, you immediately go to your MOS. You, you almost immediately get, get gets picked up. And it's decided while you're at boot. 
um, the the instructors kind of pull you out and kind of figure out you do training and that kind of stuff. Whereas usually most militaries, my understanding, you can correct me on this one if if, if I'm wrong, tree. So it's usually some some time difference. It's usually like a couple of weeks or maybe a month before you go to your MLS, depending on what the training schedule is. You usually you'll get like a you'll get a short leave period, you know, depending on how long your basic training was, you know, anywhere from several days to a week, um, you know, and depending on the job, sometimes you'll have multiple schools you'll have to go to. And so oftentimes they will give you a little bit of a break. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. that happens in the UAE with those vast distances, yeah, I, I would assume maybe. Uh, from, from what I've been told, because uh, they actually have a really interesting um uh, there's a really interesting series of lore, lore lore bits, which follows the. It's kind of like a, a documentary that follows the training of a recruit from the very beginning to their their graduation. And so there's like three or four different bits, and just kind of pulled out episodes from that that documentary where they talk about individuals. Or it's not a documentary; it's a news report. The news reporter is kind of embedded with these trainees and kind of goes through. Uh, one of them is actually from Vega. It was a survivor of the attack on Vega too who joined up so that's that's the kind of like it's the whole like post vega oorah let's go kill the vanduul kind of piece um so uh and it kind of talks about how they they kind of almost go read almost immediately from boot directly to their 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 specialty trainings um and they're decided at their boot what they're doing to do so you know you're going to be a fighter pilot you go over here you're going to be a you know a star a starman you're going to go over here you're going to be a marine you go over here you're going to be in the army you go over here and they get pulled out and separated at these forges and then go to their own individual trainings uh so it's an intense training and it actually tends to end about a year six months to a year it's uh from the way i've gathered is probably a couple of weeks for boot then a couple more weeks for for training and then they kind of their final training and settling period in the last six months before the next Invictus, and then they can get their first leave to go back and celebrate, you know, the, the fact that they've completely finished their training and are ready to go. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Okay, so this is uh, Terrence Malley, Lieutenant Junior Grade from the 128th Squadron. This is a quote on this. Uh, I'll just come right out and say it. The second after I signed up, it felt like I got hit by a ship because it was a real wow. I was going to have to fight the Van Duel face-to-face Hell, am I even going to make it through boot? I mean, I struggled to do pull-ups when I was a kid. What the hell was I thinking? Maybe I could try uh, try to get uh, get out of it. All these thoughts ambushed me uh, from that moment up until my uh, Invictus. Uh, there was this lieutenant uh, monitoring all the recruits uh, who must have seen how terrified it was. I was fumbling with the seatbelt when I when they when suddenly the lieutenant was right in front of me. All uh, he said was, "Calm down." I don't know. It was uh, part of the consolidation, mostly order. Uh, it was part of uh, consolation, mostly order. But whatever magic it, uh, he used, it worked. I was just totally calm when I uh, when I hit my forge. But I found out everyone was freaking out, um, uh, freaking out too, and that was our first bond. So that kind of, uh, you know, everyone's nervous, and you know, they're all going to, 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 to like this intense training go through everything. Um, but the, the important thing to remember about the, the Navy is that the Navy's kind of core belief is in the, the unity is best. That's why it's the kind of the tagline of Invictus is like uh, united in, in service. Uh, the Marine, the, the, the Navy functions as a unit. 
the fleet is the fleet. You have individual parts of the fleet, but everyone is part of the fleet. And as a result, their actions tend to be very unified. You'll see many times throughout UE history where the Navy does not like to do things on their own, unless the Admiral has been told, because nobody wants to get chewed out by an Admiral for doing the wrong thing. Um, captains will obviously act on their own because captains have a pretty big role, even in the UE Navy, similar to the U US Navy or the other navies uh, in the world today. Captains is a huge role and one of the, one of the highest positions for, for any kind of uh, uh, leadership. Uh, but generally speaking, even captains tend to favor on the side of, let's just call the Admiral and see, see what's going on, uh, especially during things like the Xi'an uh, conflict. There was a, a famous uh, battle called the Standoff at Hador, where the Navy, um, a, a secret scanning device was installed in Hador, which is a system along the Perry line, and it exploded. And so a group of Perseuses was patrolling the region. They show up at this exploded uh, uh, experimental scanning device, and they see the Xi'an just scanning it. And so immediately a lot of them were like, oh, so the Xi'an attacked a secret scanning post. This is war. But the commander of the Perseus was, was smart enough to go, hey, I'm just going to try to tell them to back off. So they called them multiple times, told them to back off, back off, back off. They didn't. So they took the size sevens and shot it across their bow. And then suddenly the, the Xi'an realized that stuff was going down and they left. But even then, though, they had they were like, get the Admiral. We need to get the Admiral. This is way too big for me. And so that's kind of how the Navy functions. They, they definitely do also act as, as I said, like kind of the Coast Guard. They, they're not just the frontline military. They're also the, the, the police forces interior. Like the advocacy cannot cover the ground that a na one Navy uh, interest can with its, with its fighters and it's just massive cannons. Uh, you know, one agent or a handful of agents in a system is not enough to, to really control it. But if you have the Navy there, even a small force can do a lot for as a force multiplier to control that region and keep it safe even like a Perseus, because it just Perseus looks mean. So a lot of people just don't want to mess with it. So it causes more people to just calm down or, or pirates to leave because things get a little too hot. Um, so when we're talking about the Navy, it's important to, to note all of these factors when I say the Navy is too big for its own good. It's huge, it's unwieldy, and it's actually probably worse off than most of the other services because it's entrenched in a lot of bureaucracy. Um, and that's kind of where the UE Navy is right now. It is both the main force that's defending humanity and also one of the most biggest liabilities because it's just siphoning money off to keep itself relevant at times. Um, so that's, and that's the conversation that's been going on because before the Vandal attack on Vega 2, they actually were trying to audit the military and the Navy was the one of the big ones that was like, no, we're not gonna get audited. You know, <laughs> we, we, we're, we're needed. Um, and people like Admiral Bishop has helped kind of promote that as well. So uh, that's the Navy in a kind of in a nutshell. So thoughts, Tree? <laughs> yeah, the the Navy is is an interesting beast considering how big it is, you know. And like you said, they are the biggest branch, and by a, a very wide margin, considering the the scope of their mission and what they have to do. You know, the, they're not just the the Navy; they're the Coast Guard. They do everything. You know, they patrol the 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 UEE, you know, so it's it's pretty easy to see along with everything else, you know, in the UEE how the Navy could be embroiled in 
so much of that bureaucracy that that really you know can can mire effectiveness and you know and yet they they're still getting the job done but uh you know there there's <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that the navy and the, the ue military in general are in a very a very healthy state you know uh, just from what i've read um you know individually individual sailors and, and ships and captains you know probably probably doing really well for themselves and and, and making the best out of the situation but as a as a force and an organization you know you you can only get so big before you start getting bogged down with the you know, the bureaucratic details yeah that's something we struggle with now with our militaries and look how small we are compared to how big the the UE navy would be you know yeah. this far in the future it's important to like to note that it's like when we're talking about the UE navy we're talking about like one fleet probably is the size of every single human military on earth today combined just that fleet just cuz it's like a bengal is is I, we, we don't even know the full crew capacity of a Bengal. It's probably in the million, um, or at least hundreds of thousands, if not tens of thousands. It's definitely bigger than a typical carrier today. Uh, I know yeah, we only know how many people, you know, yeah. humans you know, would would take to crew it, and that's yeah. the the gamified version. And yeah, you know, how big a, that would be in in reality yeah. is just uh, just insane to think about you know and how many they would have spread out across the uee and, and un, unsettled space you know the, and it's not just the uee that uses them the the, the marines field bengals as well and they, mm -hmm. you know there's everything else in between okay you know, I, I, may, I may have inflated a little bit the problem is the minimum cruise capacity is 755 mm -hmm. it's the minimum's crew, crew capacity and you're probably running three to four shifts per uh per that so it's probably three to four times that size so it's in the thousands but it's easily still... bigger than modern carriers yeah and then think about how many of them they probably have yeah the, uh, the united you... states has 12 super carriers you know how many super carriers do you think the ue navy fields across all of ue space i mean yeah. i don't know how you'd go about estimating that but it, you know it's got to be an insane number based off of my just general guesstimates at least it seems like at least three anchor a fleet at least three and that's not counting javelins that's not counting idrises that's not counting uh any of the other uh, other the fleet tenders the the like the starfare cruisers and battle the, cruisers we don't know about yet about, yeah. yeah uh so uh so i i definitely overflated those numbers but it's still like a huge number of of, of people that kind of uh, operate these um when you, and, you you were talking about the bengal but when you talk about how big an actual fleet is yeah. You know, the, the organizational structure of a fleet with all of those ships and then all of the logistical and command support that would be back, you know, at whatever station they're based out of, you know, the, the port that they're based out of. You know, you're looking at fleets that are in the tens of thousands of, of sailors, if not more, you know, for the individual fleet, you know, not just the, the combat part, but the, you know, the entire, you know, operational and support, you know, aspect of it, you know, the, a, a, a fleet based out of a city or a port, you know, that 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 is its own city it's its own population yeah you know so and you're you're <laughs> you're not wrong you know you, you can you can look at like uh ins jericho as a good example of this and just look at how it can all it can support two um uh javelin class dest destroyers on its docks and each of those javelins can hold like i think up to 300 people 200 to 300 people just on the javelins so that those dock workers are you know and it, it's important to also remember a lot of these things is that and this is important for CIG to understand for the the lore, which CIG does. But 
it's important to understand for the game itself that you don't just have a, a guy on a gun shooting. You have to have the cook who makes the food. You have to have the logistics officers who just categorize all of the where the bullets go, where the missiles go. You have to have the engineers who repair and maintain everything. You have to have the inspectors who go through and make sure everyone didn't screw up. You have like just this whole group of, of support staff that needs to function just for one ship, let alone a fleet. Um, and they're all, they all got to live somewhere. They all got to eat. They all got to, they all got to get this food. So, you know, a fleet is one thing, but it's also the whole seas that need to keep all of that, the, those stuff going. It's the, the NPUVs. I got to run all the people back and forth from various places, you know, when there's not enough space to dock. So it's a, it's a complicated figure. And we're looking at the star citizen universe with its, you know, millions of people per planet, if not billions of people per, per planet, it's, it becomes the scale becomes massive. Um, and I do, I, I can't, I can't not talk about the Navy without its, for some reason, I'm going to talk about this meme again. I'm going to say, say this meme until, until it gets, gets dealt with, which is the Navy admirals have a problem with gravity. <laughs> they, they don't, they, they lose the concept of gravity when they become, uh, become admirals. And I have a new theory is that their ego is so massive that they gain their own orb gravitational pull. So they just don't believe that gravity affects them anymore when they when they become admirals. Um, and so they just have this this innate desire to try to fight gravity with their ships and gravity wins every time. So um, there's only one story in the uh, the, the Star Citizen lore where a, a an admiral didn't manage to put their massive capital ship into a planet and, and and it was only by sheer luck and i can't remember which piece that was and maybe you'll remember but it's the one it was, the it, one was it the, mm, yeah yeah well they're they're stuck between the 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 vanduul and the the planet yeah with the it was a bengal carrier and they're they're trying to stay out of the atmosphere you know it, it, trying to you know, divert power between shields and thrusters in order to not get pulled down to the surface. Yeah. And you know that Admiral was thinking about the one who crashed the carrier um, down onto Ashana, uh, yeah. It, where um, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be, be that, that guy. guy. I mean, at that point, too, it was also like talking about the, the Admiral who managed to get her get uh, to, to order her captain to crash a, a javelin into Damar. You know, the worst, one of the worst maritime disasters of the 29th century, you know, because of ego. Um, it's a moon with low gravity and you still screwed it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, that's that's effectively the Navy. It's it's probably the best and worst case for, for humanity because you have people like Admiral Bishop who really do ex like exemplify the Navy uh, in terms of its role, which is, you know, the frontline shield of humanity it, it without someone like bishop doing the the trolley problem in his head all the time what how much is how much is this crew worth versus this entire planet you know um and and willing to to give out orders that that, that you know uh starman and, and captains will follow to to a fault because they believe in in his math in his his head calculus uh we probably humanity would probably have already fallen to the to the Vanduul just because you know he's the first one to figure out how to beat them, which is impressive compared to like just how many admirals have failed to do that exact same thing. Well, enough about hopefully the Navy. We have, ahead, hopefully, we have enough admiral bishops to uh, to carry the line. Yeah, uh, and let's talk about the Navy. Let's talk about the spear, as I like to call them, the spear of the of the of the, of the, of the empire, the the Marines. Go ahead, uh, Richard. So I'm. 
particularly passionate about the Marines because I myself am a Marine. Um, I served in the U.S. Marines for uh, for several years back in the early 2000s as, a, as an infantryman. So the, the things that they talk about in the lore regarding the Marines are very similar to you know, uh, or the things they talk about in, as far as spaceborne warfare are very similar to things that I have done and experienced uh, in my own military career. And so it's something that's you know, particularly interesting to me. And so leading into uh, this discussion on the Marines, uh, and we'll be talking about the, the history of the Marines and what brought them to where they are uh, in contemporary um, UE history within the Star Citizen universe. But I wanted to lead it on, uh, lead it with a, a quote that's uh, famous and known to just about every Marine that graduates boot camp uh, today. Uh, the, ra- the raising of that flag on Suribachi means a Marine Corps for the next 500 years. And that was said by Secretary of the Navy, uh, Secretary of the Navy James Forrestal, uh, February 23rd, 1945. Uh, and that was uh, in reference to the famous image of the Marines raising the flag uh, on top of the mountain uh, above Iwo Jima. Um, on a, a, if you're if you're not aware of that battle, you might want to go look it up. But uh, a very costly battle, uh, but it's it's huge for you know military history and uh, United States military and Marine history. But uh, fast forward from 1945, about uh, 600 years, and at some point along the way, humanity forgot. Um, humanity forgot the hard, lo- uh, hard learned lessons of past conflicts, both the ones that we you know live in currently, but also between now and, and the uh, the universe of Star Citizen. When the UPE, United Planets of Earth, um, faced uh, first met the Devaran, you know they, they didn't really have much of a military. They had the, you know, the, the Navy and the Army were were sort of there, but you know they hadn't, you know, humanity hadn't really experienced much in the way of conflict, especially on a interte- interstellar scale, capable of, you know, a com- in comparison to, you know, what we would deem a, a world war or something like that here on Earth. Uh, and so they hadn't they hadn't maintained the military. They hadn't kept up the uh, military just because you know it's a costly enterprise. They didn't see the need, um, and, and thus they'd forgotten. Why do you have a marine, you know, a, a force of marines? And so when um, the uh, humanity first met with the Tavar, and um, you know we we were just not prepared. You know the the navy wasn't prepared, the army wasn't prepared, the marines didn't even exist yet. Uh, you know, the UE just wasn't ready for the conflict. Uh, and so our, our recounting of the First Tavaran War um, suggests that, you know, after making first contact with them, the Tavaran quickly declared war on the UPE. Um, historical documents suggest that the Tavaran um, didn't have any terraforming technology and that their home planet uh, of Kalith, um, which is now called Jalan, uh, was facing overpopulation. So they didn't, you know, they were just striving out, uh, stretching their legs, you know, finding their way out into space. They weren't as developed as the the UPE was. I think they estimated that they were about 100 years behind us or something like that. Um, but they, they didn't have a way to um, colonize other worlds and make them habitable. Uh, and in step, the UEE or UPE, who had terraforming technology, who had multiple um, habitable, habitable worlds, um, and so the, the history suggests that the, the martial culture um, of the Tavar and led them to um, attack the the UPE, you know, essentially for land. You know, the, the impetus for so many wars and throughout history, you know, is because we need your land. Uh, that uh, same martial culture that the uh, the Tavar and 
held so dear is also what led them to numerous victories um, and even conquering human-held territory and systems um, you know, that the, the UP had uh, early on in the war. And so they were, they, despite being a much smaller um smaller in population, you know, didn't have the technology that we had, their strategic uh, and uh, you know, martial prowess, you know, made it so that they were, they were beating us. We were losing the war and they were taking ground and taking planets. Um, at this point in history, the predecessors of the UE Marines um, were actually uh, a unit called the Advanced Special Operations Unit. Uh, which was an elite corps of uh, highly trained and special equipped soldiers within the UPE armory. Um, and it was actually uh, said to be about division strength, so about 10,000 soldiers. Uh, and these soldiers were specially trained in, in special operations, whether it was um, uh, you know, planetary landings um, or you know, EVA, uh, you know, combat you know, in EVA, those sorts of things. This is what they did. But when this large conventional war kicked off with the Tavarin and we were losing the, you know, like Paul said, the, the UEE had to build the military fast uh, and they didn't have a big military. And so they, the expertise of the ASO was squandered and they're relegated to a support role because the army needed to refill their ranks and they need to patch holes in their lines with whatever units they could find while they were trying to build the military up. And that, you know, so the ASO, these special operations forces were basically just thrown into the line with the rest of the army uh, and not used as appropriate as they could have been. And so the the First Tavaran War um, raged on, you know, and after four years, the UPE was eventually able to reconquer uh, the lost systems and planets, uh, but it was at a steep cost. Uh, and, you know, humanity really suffered uh, during the First Tavaran War. Um, and it it showed essentially in, in how we treated the Tavaran afterwards. You know, the, the parallels to previous human conflicts are, are definitely there. Um, and so the uh, after the first Tavaran War, the the UEE was formed. Uh, they went from the United Planets of Earth to the United Empire of Earth, uh, and the military leaders were you know keen to to learn from the the conflict in order to you know not make the same mistakes again. And so they, uh, they you know, and they were also facing uh, a cold, a brewy cold war with the Xion in the east. And so they were definitely worried about an, another war breaking out, and they wanted to be more prepared. Uh, and so this led to you know the the first of a, a series of technologically powered analyses, you know, where the humanity is using supercomputers in order to run simulations and war games in order to help them, you know, develop better technologies, tactics, and strategies. Uh, to, to better face our enemies. Um, and one of these uh, led to um, what has really shaped the UE Marines uh, into the force that defends humanity to this day. So in 2558, you know, several years after the um, end of the First Tavaran War, um, what is referred to as a quantum obelisk computer conducted a series uh, of uh, analyses of infantry actions uh, that occurred during that First Tavaran War. Uh, this led to a lot of changes across the UE, uh, UE military, but the one that uh, is most notable and had the most impact uh, regarding you know, the future Marines uh, was the removal of the ASO, that uh, the, the predecessors to the Marines, from Army Command, because they had been you know, uh, essentially under the command of the Army, and the formation of an entirely separate third service. Um, 
unlike the um, you know the the U.S. Marines, which are technically a you know the Marine Corps um, and the uh, you know they're their own branch, but they are a, a part of the Navy uh, and many of the other um, Marines you know or Marine units you know today are, are parts of you know either part of the Army or part of the Army or Navy across the world. This new branch was its entirely own branch, entirely separate, entirely, you know, supposed to be entirely self-sufficient. So not only did the ASO become the infantry corps of this new, this new branch of the UEE military, um, but they also folded in other units from the Navy in order to make them their own self-sufficient branch, um, including the space combat team, the Naval Future Weapons Office, um, and a bunch of other smaller Navy commands. So the, this this was designed to give the Marines a uh, a core of infantry to to build this force around, along with you know uh, their own ships, their own fighters, in order to sustain them. Similarly to how the U.S. Marines operate, um, but different, expanded upon, and then also the Naval Future Weapons Office. You know, giving the Marines the the, the latest and greatest, uh, supposedly giving them a- access to the the best technology, you know, the best equipment to come out of the UEE. Uh, but less than 60 years later, uh, after uh, after the first Iran War, humanity again finds itself you know, embroiled in conflict. Uh, a Tavarn by the name of Korath Thal, um, who became uh, the new Tavarn warlord, their uh, basically supreme leader, uh, emerged from deep space with a Tavarn fleet that had escaped the dissolution of the Tavarn Empire and their war machine. Um, the new Tavarn fleet that just emerged from the ether um, had upgraded Phoenix shield or sorry, phalanx shields and other technologies. So they've had a a very powerful fleet that the UE military had struggled to combat those ships in the first place. And now they're even more upgraded. Um, But instead of conducting a conventional war um, against the UE, uh, like they had previously lost the Tavarn engaged in an unconventional uh, war, a guerrilla style with stealthy hit and run attacks all across the UEE. Uh, instead of just the front uh, along the UE borders with their previous home world, they were everywhere. They were hitting, they were attacking uh, military bases and, and raiding civilian uh, locations all across the UE. Nowhere was safe and they, they would just appear from nowhere with their stealth technology, hit hard and fast, take what they wanted, what they needed, and just disappear back into the black of space. Um, and the the Empire, uh, the UEE military, was just absolutely struggling to to combat this uh, this new style of warfare, you know, on a on a interplanetary and essentially uh, all across the ver- you know the, the known verse. They, they just were spread so thin they couldn't effectively combat them in the the conventional methods that they were used to. Uh, so despite being made into their own autonomous service, um, inter-service rivalries between the Navy, Army, and Marines uh, really prevented a more effective joint effort um, to combat all these devastating attacks by the Tavarin. Um, they, they were, the three branches were really operating um, on, on their own and not in a, as far as a, you know, despite having the new uh, high command uh, trying to organize them, the, the the branches were were not operating cohesively, and the like uh, Paul said the the army and the navy 
really resented the Marines, you know, because they were, the Marines were essentially poaching the, the best and brightest uh, from them while they're still, you know, in, in basic training. Um, and, you know, that they were fighting that every step of the way. Um, Army leadership had all but convinced high command that they were the, be- the ones best able to combat the Devaran on the ground. And so the high command wasn't giving the Marines uh, missions in order to prove themselves and to get experience. You know, and so again, the, the training uh, that the Marines received, you know, was really going to waste. Um, the Navy was uh, withholding material support from the Marines, you know, instead of Marines getting you know, the, the latest and greatest fighters and bombers and other ships, you know, the, the Navy was requisitioning these things in order to replace their losses. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Uh, I was going to step in and say, uh, like, uh, effectively, uh, what they were doing was the Navy was, was, it was even worse. It was doing two-faced. It was like the Navy, the Marines are not big enough to fight this battle and then just not giving them the stuff they need to do in the first place. So just like, Oh, whatever shall I do? They're just so weak. It's like, it's cause you're not giving them the stuff you're supposed to giving them. So exactly. it's, it's, it's just, just twisting that knife that already in the back. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only could, could, could the Marines not grow in order to really, you know, they were self-sufficient on paper, really, mm-hmm. you know, they're supposed to be their own force, but they're getting hamstrung by the Navy you know, the Navy especially, but the Army too. Um, but the, the Navy was really hamstrung in their ability because, you know, th- they're Marines. If they don't have their, their own ships in, in order to get around to where they need to be, they can't perform the missions. You know, and if they don't have their own fighters and bombers and stuff to provide air cover, they're not going to be able to perform those missions. And the the Navy was saying, oh, okay, well, you know, here, you can have these leftovers. The, you know, the mothball fleet's all yours. You know, uh, that's what it amounted to. You know, so they're... The, the Marines were really struggling to to find their 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 feet in the second of our own war. Uh, you know, their fledgling feet uh, fleet you know just wasn't able to to meet the needs of the the new force. Um, and then these uh, the the Army and the Navy were also doing everything they could to to fight the Marines' uh, recruiting efforts. So the Marines were struggling to build their force uh, the force they needed to 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 be a part of this fight. Um, uh, as well as replace any losses that they did um, that they did have. So the Marines, you know, uh, the the Army and the Navy, like Paul said, were you know creating this sort of excuse for why you know they should be the ones you know to do the job, you know, through their own actions. You know, the Marines aren't big enough. Well, it's, we're not big enough because you it, you guys are preventing us from getting ships and getting soldiers. You know, <laughs> otherwise we'd be big enough. Yeah. So the uh, the conflict uh, between humanity and the Tavaran continued um, along with the conflict between the three branches of the UE military. And it really came to a head uh, in April of 2605 um, when the UE received reports that the Tavaran had attacked uh, the planet Uriel in the Oberon system. Uh, and Paul, you've talked about this operation and, and how this happened. Um, you know, and I, to me, it's really fascinating and interesting to think that, you know, the, the Tavaran had the, um, the strategic guile to 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 go about this operation because it it really is a stroke of genius, you know, to go after Uriel and the uh, the assets that were there, you know, essentially almost out of out of reach for the UEE. Yeah, I, the, one of the things that's important to understand about uh, uh, Uriel is that it's it's got a it's got a quantum refinery, but it's not a UEE system. So that's that's the key. That's the that's the 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 like ah gotcha. 
because the UE was not going to defend a non-UE system. So it's just like, how well, what are you going to do now? Now we've got a quantum refinery and we're, you know, we're holding this ground. So. Yeah, it was a, it was really a stroke of genius on the part of the Tavarn and, you know, it would have worked had you kids not, you know, meddling Meddling kids kids. not spoiled my plans. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it it was a really smart ploy because the, uh, the, Oberon system is outside of UE space, you know, even further outside of UE space at that time. Um, but it gave a, a strategic asset to the Tavaran war effort. Um, and the UEE recognized that this, you know, could be a potential turning point in the war, a war that they were already losing. Um, if the Tavaran were able to secure a base of operations with which to resupply their fleets and launch other attacks into neighboring uh, nearby UE systems, uh, like Paul has talked about uh, in the other Marine video, the you know the you know attacking Bremen, attacking Vega, Croshaw is nearby, um, Satari and, and um, Idris are are all nearby. You know, only a couple jumps away from Oberon, and now they've got the quantum fuel in order to make those jumps. Uh, and so the 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 UE military started to panic. Um, and so high command, they're really fearful about, you know, the, this could being a turning point in the Tavaran war strategy, because up until this point, they hadn't, you know, been trying to take territory. They were conducting raids and, and guerrilla attacks. Um, and so they were pretty desperate to repel the Tavaran uh, and get them out of Oberon and, and off of Uriel uh, before they could establish a more permanent base and, and really bolster their efforts. Um, it, yeah, because they, that they they were worried that this could lead to you know that that doomsday scenario, you know where the Tavaran are allied with the Xion, uh, and the UEE is having to fight a war on two fronts when they are already losing one, you know a, a war mm-hmm. on one front. Yeah, it's important so to remember the, as well that, that like, there's a lot of there was a lot of people who thought that that, that the Tavaran were actually being supplied by the Xion, uh, and so like they said they thought that if the Tavaran managed to make it to the Perry line that the the, the Xion would just come rolling right in. And the, 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 even even today, the the Xion are more technologically advanced than we are. So it's it's like it would have been bad. It would the KOA like there's just no way you would have survived that. So it's a it's a logical conclusion, you know, to, mm-hmm. to you know based off the location of Oberon and and the targets, you know, within that area of of the the known verse and UE space. You know, you can see why the why the the, the fear and paranoia got started. And where it went with the Messers after the the Second Devaran War, you know how that came to be. Uh, it just sort of fermented afterwards. Fermented, fermented, fermented. Right word. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the army and the navy um, argued with that uh, they should uh, send a combined force to eliminate the Tavaran base. You know, a, a massive fleet with you know a huge landing force in order to just absolutely wipe out the Tavaran base and any of the any ships from the Tavaran fleet in the Oberon system. But uh, projections um, for you know such a task uh, suggested that it would take a, a large force of, of ships and men um, and that it risks significant amount of casualties. And by diverting all those soldiers and sailors and ships uh, to to undertake that operation, it would leave uh, other fronts across the UEE vulnerable, even more vulnerable to attack than they already were, um, which you know it, it 
it sound it makes it sound like you know the the Tavarin were doing this not only because it was a, a a smart idea long term as part of their overall strategy, but it would also make it so that their raiding forces you know, would be that much better um, equipped and able to to conduct their raids and their attacks all across the the UAE while this was going on. Um, but the Marines had a different plan. Uh, instead of a full-scale invasion of Uriel uh, and you know the Oberon system, uh, the Marines' plan was to covertly insert a team of Marine commandos uh, onto the surface via the the nail drop pods, uh, which we've heard about before. Uh, kind of sad that we're not going to get those in the PU, but maybe yeah. that just means we'll see them in a campaign at some point. Who knows? Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's, that's that's one of Tree's favorite favorite things. It's me too. I mean, I'm a big fan of ODSTs from Halo. And, and oh gosh, like yeah. So I just, you'd love to see it. You know, you'd love to see, see more drop pods, especially nails are nuts. 90 seconds to the ground is nuts. <laughs> That's just crazy to, to think about, you know, and, you know, even if it's just a, a toe, you know, a theater's war scenario or, um, you know, maybe a, a single player campaign or, or something like that, you know, it'd be, it'd be super cool to at least be able to, to see it, you know, if not actually do it. Um, but their plan was to use these nail drop pods to, uh, uh, to so they were going to sneak into into the Oberon system and then insert via nail drop pod onto Uriel uh, in order you know to destroy the quantum fuel refinery um, by denying the Tavaran that strategic resource the Tavaran would basically be forced to um, abandon Uriel and and any hopes of a strategic base just because otherwise you know having a base you know in Oberon wouldn't do them any good if they didn't have the resources with you know, with which to conduct their attacks from there. Um, so that was their their line of reasoning in order to do that. Um, so High Command gave the Marines the go-ahead, and once the conditions were right, the Marines um, uh, on a uh, on one of their ships um, they left from Vega uh, and, and snuck you know through the Oberon system, you know, avoiding Tavaran patrols uh, and got into orbit above Uriel. And then when the weather is right, they sent these drop pods down through the clouds and the storms um, and landed on the, on the surface of Uriel and Uriel is a, a flows, a frozen planet. You know, they, they, they screwed the UE screwed up the terraforming. And so it's just a, a frozen ice ball. And the majority of the, the inhabitants and in the, the settlements are actually below ground. Um, so the, uh, the mission's going according to plan. You know, the Marines have been able to, you know, uh, stealthily infiltrate the uh, refinery, um, and they're working on deploying the demolition charges in the control room um, when all of a sudden a Tavaran patrol uh, discovers them. And, and so they have to resort to an improvised demolition um, as they, you know, they, they beat a hasty retreat, you know, towards their secondary extraction point. And so they make their way to the surface, you know, they, they trigger the, the detonation to, to blow the control room and the, the refinery, only to find out, you know, that the ship that had inserted them and was supposed to recover them has had to uh, break off. They're they're getting attacked by uh, Tavaran ships, and so now these Marines are stranded on the planet. Um, and so the Marines, uh, they escape into the mountains surrounding the uh, the, the base, um, and start their own guerrilla war action against the Tavaran who are still on the planet. Um, analysts, you know, once they realized that you know, the, the Marines were trapped on that planet, you know, in a hostile system, you know, behind enemy lines, uh, analysts, you know, predicted that their the chances of uh, that team of Marines and that their survival was only at like 3.8%. You know, and so in response to this, you know, another famous quote, um, you know, that, that goes down in, in 
marine history, just like the the one about the the flag raising on Suribachi. Uh, marine General Adachi, who's you know who came who came up with the plan, said they've obviously never met my Marines. And so these Marines conduct a guerrilla war, you know, until they're able to be rescued uh, and, and basically you know, just keep the, the Tavaran pinned down uh, until they finally you know, leave Uriel and Oberon. Um, you know, and, and this story, you know, it just goes on to bolst, uh, bolster recruiting efforts and, you know, inspire, you know, generations of, uh, of youth, you know, in the UE to enlist. Um, and so that was that mission. Uh, was one of the the big turning points for the Marines, um, and really the the effort um, against the Tavaran in the Second Tavaran War. There's a second uh, high stakes mission uh, that the Marines pre- performed during the Tavaran War uh, that really not only cemented the Marines' position, you know, and basically, you know, uh, these these missions that occurred during this war is kind of like the uh, landing on Iwo Jima. You know the, these missions and the, the Marine success in, in doing what they thought couldn't be done is what made it so that there are the, so that we have a UEE Marines and that they are the force that they are now. But uh, so in 2604 in the Fora uh, the Fora F O R A the Fora system, um, members of a, a local militia um, because there are you know all these different militias were popping up across the UEE during the Tavaran war because the, the navy and the army and the marines couldn't be everywhere um, but they spotted a force of Tavaran uh, en route to the planet Hyperion um, and so they alerted the navy and the navy you know and the military the UE military are like we don't have anybody in fora we we've got nothing we you know what are we going to do and I, Hyperion was sparsely populated but there was you know there there were colonies there and so when they when the attack you know they anticipated an attack on hyperion and when it come high command is like wait a minute where were they going you know we we thought they were going to raid hyperion and they didn't where are they going now and so they they dispatched um the now famous phantoms of 6th platoon bravo company 2nd battalion special operations force uh, and so again i'm going to cut in here and say go for are, it. this this is the group that tree never shuts the fuck up about so yes <laughs> not even once not even once but, so so yeah the 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 phantoms of 6th platoon are the marine equivalent uh, equivalent to squadron 42 yes if we get a marine campaign for you know, a single player campaign, it'll be about these guys. Yeah. Um, and the way that they wrote the, uh, what is it? Always forward mm-hmm. uh, at the very, you know, at the very end, or is it always forward or I forget which one. Uh, it was one of the, the, the sources that I'll, I have in my little write up for this, but they basically reference six platoon, you know, and compare them to squadron 42. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was by accident. You know, I hope it wasn't. Yeah, the Phantoms may not be as famous as Squadron 42 or even the 1st Marine Battalion, but history has shown that they, they have been instrumental in, in protecting the Empire. Simply, the 6th Platoon embodies the Marines' ethos to serve the greater good and provide protection without requiring resignation. Yeah. Exactly. And so these guys, the, the, the Phantoms, these guys are ice cold. These are the, the special operations commandos of you know the 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 ue marines who are all you know basically an entirely a a special operations force um and so they do again a covert insertion onto hyperion you know the the tavaran didn't detect them landing on hyperion and the um sixth platoon 
was able to uh, find that the Tavarna had established a staging post um, far from the main colon- colony of Shoal uh, on Hyperion. And so the six platoon, you know, they're monitoring Tavarna communications and they realize that this base is a, like a command and control base. You know, they're the ones coordinating all these Vandal hit and run attacks, you know, across the UE space, you know, and, and uh, Vandal, or sorry, Tavarin, my bad, uh, and Tavarin troop movements and, and fleet movements. So recognizing, you know, how important this is, uh, six platoon, you know, they're like, we need to, we need to do something about this and we need to do something now. And they can't, you know, radio back or, or, or send a communication back to command because if they do, they're concerned that, you know, they'll be discovered um, and the, you know, the communication might get intercepted, you know, and so they, uh, they take advantage of what are called hyperclay storms on planet Hyperion in, in order to uh, make a stealthy approach to the Tavaran base. And so they, they sneak into the Tavaran base and they basically kill all the Tavaran, take over the base, secure everything and all the intelligence without a single Marine lost, not one. Um, and so the, you know, this base is a treasure trove of intelligence all about Tavaran imp- uh, operations. And so they get this intelligence back to high command, and they're able to use it to to foil and thwart Tavaran operations across UE space. Um, you know, and and six, you know, this is basically the the beginning. You know, where the saga of Six Platoon really starts, um, and it's you know, along with the the mission. You know, for uh, Operation Oberon. You know, these are the missions that really cemented the role of the UE Marines uh, as a part of the UE military. And so, you know, these are the high, these are high profile examples, you know, uh, but there's, there's so many other instances where the, the Marines were, were vital uh, in the, you know, the Tavarin or in the war effort against the Tavarin. Um, so after humanity and the UE is successful against the, you know, in the second Tavarin war, you know, again, they're, you know, the, the Marines, you know, high command, especially, but Marine, the Marines in particular, you know, they, they want to capitalize on their success. They don't want to forget the lessons of the, the, the lessons of the past that led to, you know, us uh, as a species being unprepared for conflict, you know, whether it's uh, the dismantling of the, you know, the UE military uh, or the dissolution of the, the Marines altogether. And so the, the Marines become the force that is focused on planetary invasions and special operations. That's what they do. Um, there are a lot of similarities between the UE Marines and the, the Marines of today, um, but there's also a few um, dissimilarities as, as well. Um, unlike you know the United States Marines, um, the UE Marines don't pull guard duty. Uh, they don't function as diplomatic escorts. You're not going to see Marines guarding you know embassies and uh, consulates and stuff like that. Um, the first Marine Battalion is tasked with guarding the Emperor and ensuring the Emperor's safety, much like um, the U.S. Marines of today. I'm going to um, say, I'm going to correct you, it's the Imperator. Cause, Imperator. Because if you say yes. if we say Emperor, then, then it, like, that, that, that would be something that, like, the <laughs> rebels would call him would call him an emperor, <laughs> emperor but everyone else is like we don't we don't he's not he's not an emperor he's not like there forever that the emperor is just well i guess she now because it's the the current one is a is a woman um it's they're just elected for 10 years we elect them we just truly elected characters truly elected yeah so yeah, yeah. imperator yeah <laughs> imperator yes yeah. um 
but they are, you know, the, the Imperator is guarded by the Marines of the, the famed 1st Marine Battalion. The 1st Marine Battalion really is the sort of face of the UE Marines because so much of what they do is you know, behind the scenes, behind closed doors, you know, in the shadows. You know the the Marines strike, and you see it on the news the the day you know the, a day or two later, you know with smoking craters and and you know captured pirates and that sort of thing. But uh, you don't actually really hear about what they're doing too often. Um, but uh, other than other than that, the Marines are either assigned to these really difficult missions that the you know from the UE military you know undertaken from high command, or they're on, you're, they're busy training for those missions. Um, they're, they're not doing uh, side jobs. Um, and so uh, on their home base, um, it, it, on the planet Ki uh, Corin in the Killian system is where this training occurs. Um, most Marines are recruited, like Paul uh, mentioned, where they're recruited from the best of the best during, you know, Army and Navy basic training. You know, if you if you really shine and you, you do a really good job um, during basic training uh, for the army and the navy, the, the marines are, you know could very well poach you, but there isn't like specific criteria. You know you can't um, sort of groom yourself for selection. They, they're going if they want you, they will find you. Um, like I, and like that's I how most the, marines. Like I said in the video, oh, like, like you don't choose to be the marines. The marines choose you. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, there. If there is criteria, it's super secret. No one knows what it is, so there's no preparing for selection. You know, um, you I'm can only hope. I'm imagining it's a gunnery sergeant. It's like I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> the way he says, "Sir," that sounds right. Let's go. You coming with me to the ice to, to the hellish ice world? <laughs> the way you say that reminds me of Rocket Raccoon. I want his leg. His yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, but at at the same time. If you distinguish yourself uh, operationally as a, a soldier or a sailor, um, or even in the advocacy, uh, the Marines will, you know, can recruit you um, from the the ranks uh, of those forces after basic training. I actually have an example which people may understand. Rowena Dooley oh, yep. is the special agent in charge of Stanton. She's the one who does like the Xenothreat. She's the the head of the CDF in Stanton. Uh, she was originally a Navy logistics officer, but in her second tour of duty. The Marines poached her and she became a Marine. Uh, so she, she spent the rest of her career as a Marine before she, she uh, left the Marines and joined the advocacy. And like the advocacy is full of Marines because it's, it's just, that's the kind of mindset you have to be. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be in a distant world where maybe my closest way of getting even a, a Whammer's burger is, is, is like tw two quantum jumps away. Um, that sounds like hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's the kind of like they they're built to serve, like like they 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 drill that into them. So, if you can imagine how supremely competent Rowena Dooley must be to have been recruited out of the Navy to join the Marines, and then did her time in the Marines and is now an advocacy agent who's basically in charge of all the CDF. Mm -hmm. You know, talk about commanding confidence of your your superiors. Um. And that's just that's just one example, but it, it's it's pretty telling. And I think that you know whether they did that on purpose or not, an accident, it, it's very similar to how things are now. The intelligence services, uh, you know, in in the current era, poached significantly from the U.S. Marines, from the the Marines um, in, in the uh, in the U.K. The the Royal Marine Commandos, um, they, they get constantly poached for the intelligence services work. Uh, 
Um, so it's it's pretty interesting to see that that trend has sort of continued. And uh, but so yeah, that you know they're 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 always training. They're either on mission or they're training. Um, and so if you distinguish yourself, you know, in in Army or Navy basic training, and then get recruited for the Marines, then you have the the honor and privilege of going to Marine. Uh, training on Corin, which is this frozen, you know, icy hellscape. You know, it makes um, Hoth look like a, a, a nice, you know, tropical beach by comparison. And you go through six months of just absolutely horrendous training. And, you know, if, if you survive, then, you know, you be, you know, you get inducted into the Marines. And then you get to go beneath the surface where the Marines have this massive underground base um, because they learned from the mistakes of the the rebellion in Star Wars, you put your base underground where you can, yeah. you know, enemy can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, I was gonna say you you know you know Trees a Marine because he said he he said you have the honor and privilege to go freeze your ass off for six months and possibly <laughs> die, but if you survive, you become a Marine. So you know, <laughs> congratulations, you won the prize. Yeah, <laughs> but from this. Uh, massive underground base you know they conduct war games they conduct training you know everything they need to do for small uh, covert missions you know to, to to massive operations this is where it all happens and because you know this is part of the reason it's underground you know it's because so much of what you know essentially everything the marines do is is secret you know it's under you know it's all super secret stuff you know and um the ue marines station a battle group with a bengal carrier in orbit above Corin at all times with shoot to kill orders. If you approach without, you know, essentially squawking your, 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 Hey, I'm supposed to be here codes. They're just going to blow you out of the sky um, because they take, they take their, their mission and their training so seriously. Uh, there's a fun, fun fact. There's only one group who's allowed to train with the Marines and those are uh, search and rescue operators. Civilian search mm -hmm. and rescue operators are the only ones who are allowed to train the Marines on Corin because they actually say that in the, um, uh, what is it? The Invictus announcements. They say that they say that the only people who are allowed to to serve are uh, members of of search and rescue operations. They're the only ones who are respected enough to do that, because you know you don't do it because you need you need the people who are going to save your ass to be as tough as you are. <laughs> you know the the corpsman sort of thing. So yeah, they have to they have to be up to snuff in order to go behind. You know the, those the the search and rescue professionals that you talk about. They're essentially the you know, uh, the Air Force pararescuemen of the mm -hmm. UEE, you know, um, and I don't know, maybe, you know, I don't think they've stated if they're a part of the, the Navy or, or what, or, or if they're just their own they're command or something like that. They're technically a civilian service. They're not even a, a okay. military service. So they, they, I think they, they, I think they're connected to the UEE, but they're, uh, they're, they're, they're not serving. So, you, but you have to like get like I think you have to get re recruited from them or whatever. But um, yeah, they're 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 technically a civilian service. So. And that makes sense that they would train on one of the most hostile environments, you know, um, and, and train with the Marines in order to execute their mission to to go yeah. behind the lines or or go in these super dangerous places to, to conduct rescue operations. Um, because the and because the the Marines or sorry the missions for the Marines are anywhere you know can be anywhere and they're they're time you know that they're essentially always time critical um the marines are also everywhere uh, and like i talked about earlier um the marines you know the, the evolution of the marines has been aided by compute you know uh the the use of supercomputers and, and detailed analyses of you know the the tavaran wars and other um conflicts 
in order to get the Marine, you know, the Marines, you know, along with the UE military, but especially the Marines to where they are currently uh, in, you know, the star citizen universe. Um, the second of, you know, we talked about the, that quantum obelisk uh, computer uh, that basically said, Hey, the Marines need to be their own force after conducting this big extensive review. Um, the second uh, major improvement that uh, really, you know, that, that really sort of um, set the foundation for how, you know, for part of how the Marines operate was actually a logistical one. Um, and that, you know, leads me into another quote, you know, amateurs, the amateurs discuss tactics, professionals discuss logistics. And that's a famous quote that's been repeated by numerous generals, but it's originally attributed to Napoleon Bonaparte, um, as far as I know. Um, I'm sure but, I'm sure uh, there's a Latin quote somewhere that's basically the same thing. It's it's old I as think, human human history. <laughs> yeah, I think Sun Tzu actually said something similar too. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, it might have been a, a spin off of, you know, the art of war or something from within the art of war. There's um, there's, there's some somewhere in a clay tablet somewhere in Mesopotamia. There's <laughs> something that's been etched by by like uh, one of the early Mesopotamian generals. It says the exact same thing. We, we we translated it to something more complicated than it actually is, but what it really meant in that ancient language is beans, bullets, band-aids. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Where's my damn um, bread? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, with the Tavaran Wars and, and even before, um, interplanetary operations were conducted first. You know, you you established a beachhead. You know, using these small, heavily armored assault craft uh, in order to land and establish a beachhead. And once you know you've established a base, only then would you bring your heavy equipment. You know things like the Nova, you know the the Nova Tonk, um, you know heavy APCs, all that sort of stuff. You know those things wouldn't be brought in uh, into into the fight until after you'd establish a secure base. Uh, and so it'd be a while. It could it could be a while before you got your your artillery, your your tanks, your anti-air. Um, equipment down onto the surface you know and in the meantime your your infantry are, are just basically um upset creek without uh, without the proverbial paddle um and uh it, it, it these you know your heavy equipment had to be brought in by sort of civilian freighters you know that aren't designed for the rigors of combat um, and you know they're big they're slow they're vulnerable um and so the point of you know this was uh the this computer-aided analysis realized that this is a significant vulnerability for the UE military um, and even the Marines, you know, in, in the Second of Iron War. And, and it, it was a costly one, um, you know, where, you know, it, it cost a lot of lives and material because our the logistics chain for the military just wasn't up to snuff in order to meet the needs of, a you know, a, a, a interplanetary uh, conflict. So in order to address this weakness, um, the leadership of the military formed a separate command called UE, the UEE Starlift Command. Um, and it was a cross-service command. So basically, it's kind of like um, you know, saying this command would include Marines and sailors and soldiers all within one command in order to make sure that the transport demands for the different branches um, for personnel and material, um, in particular the Marines and the Army, were, were met. Um, this also led to the development of the first, uh, what's called quantum to battlefield support craft. Um, you know, essentially a ship that could, you know, quantum from a, a base, you know, to you know, orbit uh, above a a conflict zone, you know, on a planet, and, and then go straight down to the battlefield um, without 
um, having to establish a base in order to land these, you know, uh, really vulnerable civilian freighters um, to deploy these heavy assets and, and deploy them while under fire. And we, only, we know this ship now as um, the Hercules Starlifter. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the, the third and, and final sort of, you know, computer-aided advancement um, for the UEE and really the Marines um, came at about the same time, if you actually look back and, and read the lore regarding these two things. Um, but the uh, Anvil Aerospace is flush with cash um, after developing the Hornet, um, you know, and the success of some of their other ships. And so they essentially uh, booked a whole bunch of time with a, a supercomputer um, on Terra at the Lewandowski Institute. And they used the, this team of research researchers used this supercomputer to conduct a bunch of war games and analyses of, of previous operations uh, in order to try and answer the question of what was next, you know, what was next for the, the UE military? What was the need going to be? And, um, you know, a, a lot of these findings are still proprietary. They're still secret. Um, but what has been released is that every scenario uh, in that involved a, a Vandal defeat, you know, humanity defeating the Vandal, required um, a significant advancement in the abilities of landing craft uh, in order for the UEE to retake previously held systems, you know, like Tiber and Virgil, Caliban, um, et cetera. And the answer to this, you know, the, this unmet need uh, when it came to um, the the landing craft operated by the UE military and especially by the Marines was what we now know as the Valkyrie. Um, and so prior to the development of the Valkyrie, the amphibious assault craft um, operated by the UE military and, and especially the Marines um, were either smaller, really expensive dropships, i.e. the Redeemer, um, the Vanguard um, hoplite um, that you know, transported individual squads for insertion for special operations things, or there are these large expendable um, craft, you know, that basically would drop down onto the surface and deploy, uh, you know, an entire company or, or a whole, you know, a, new, a, a bunch of heavy equipment all at once, but it's basically a one-time use thing. You know, you, you drop it and you set it and forget it, and then you have to build a new one in order to conduct another operation. And so Anvil decided that in order, you know, they, they really needed to meet in the middle with something that they could mass produce, something that could, you know, uh, transport more than just a squad, but could also transport, um, you know, vehicles, you know, to meet the needs of the the army and the Marines uh, to conduct these landing operations that would be needed in order to uh, retake um, planets and systems from the from the Vanduul if we were ever to beat them. And so the the Anvil developed the Valkyrie. The Valkyrie has been hugely successful across the UE military um, because it's used by the Navy, it's used by the Marines, it's used by Starlift Command and the Army. Um, you know, and so it, we haven't had a chance to use it in the that large mass planetary assault um, in order to retake a planet. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Six, six platoon, first platoon, first person, <laughs> you know, uh, camp. Uh, single player campaign fourth, fourth yeah. game after after squadron 42 episode three is going to be that the the six platoon yeah. taking back uh the grinder uh, be yeah, a giant yeah giant anvil hint of things to come yeah um but the the van uh, the valkyrie has proven itself over and over again uh in conflicts on the frontier you know uh, against pirates and, and vandal raiders and stuff um so the the ue um 
is actually dotted, you know, canvassed with uh, numerous joint bases where special operations Marines um, deploy uh, via Starlift, um, uh, UE Starlift Command, Hercules Starlifters, uh, along with their own long-range escorts like the Vanguard Heavy Fighter. Um, and they serve as like a rapid reaction force. You know, these bases are strategically placed across the UEE in order to be able to respond, you know, to to any sort of uh, urgent need, urgent mission within a jump. Anywhere, any within a jump of any settled system in UEE space, you know, these rapid reaction forces can be there, um, you know, super, you know, very quickly in order to to intervene and conduct these special missions. Um, and um, what was the the name of the operation that you talked about, Paul? Where the the, the Marines first used the the Hercules? The, there's there's no name for it. There's no name oh, and yeah. there's no location for it. All it is all yeah. it's mentioned is that it was a border system and that it was in an unused system, was an unclaimed system, and it was in a mm -hmm. asteroid, large asteroid, effectively. So. Yeah, the the Marines were the first ones to put the Hercules to the test, yeah. you know, and so, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, I guess uh, several Hercules starlifters, along with their escorts, um, were able to insert Marines and an entire armored column onto this base without these pirates even knowing, and they just absolutely wiped them all out um, and, you know, captured a bunch of intel they were able to, which led to the capture of the uh, the, the pirates' the ships, including a capital ship, and you know, mm -hmm. a, a huge success without you know any loss of life um, because of this you know um, oh what would you call it the, this new way of operating that mm -hmm. came about from the technological advancements um, that the UEE and the, the Marines took advantage of, um, and so that's why they that's why the Marines are the rapid reaction force because they not only you know operate from these joint bases with Starlift Command. Um, yeah, with their own escorts, uh, but they also operate um, off of their own fleets, and so the the Marines operate you know operate their own fleets with um, their own uh, spacecraft, you know, fighters and bombers like the the Lightning and the Hornet and the Gladiator, you know, operating from uh, what the lore refers to as fast escort carriers. Whether that ends up being the Pegasus or something different, we don't know. We just know that the Marines operate their own fleets with their own spacecraft. Um, but then the Marines operate, you know, also have their own landing forces, you know, with um, massive troop and vehicle transports, you know, from which they deploy Valkyries, you know, and, and other landing craft in order, you know, and uh, I'm assuming that's where the nails get launched from. You know, maybe they have smaller ships that they, you know, you, you know, will launch smaller groups of nails from. Who knows? Um, but they, they have their own landing forces and whether it's landing, um, you know, inserting Marines by nail, you know, uh, either covertly or just, you know, rapidly dropping them on your head to, you know, land all sorts of hate and discontent um, or a much larger force versus uh, via landing craft. You know, the Marines are always they're They're always there. You don't know the, where they are, you know, but their their fleets or their rapid reaction forces can, you know, can basically be anywhere in the UEE or the frontier you know, at, at a moment's notice to conduct these um, special operations missions. Um, and like Paul had talked about, you know, the, those nails are, they're, they're rocket assisted. So they don't mm -hmm. just fall out and use gravity. They're rocket assisted. And then they've got these inertial dampeners that uh, like, a, I think it's a modified version of what, what's Hornet. used in the Hornet. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's effectively top of the line um, things that prevent you from feeling G-forces. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
because you need to if you're going 90 seconds <laughs> to the planet 90 seconds yeah that's that's from some orbit pledging. to the surface that's yeah. some you gotta you gotta be only people who who survived six months in in icy hellscapes and and uh then decide to live there for the for the rest of their tour are going to be balls enough to, to climb into effectively a a human torpedo uh, <laughs> and be shot <laughs> towards the planet and, yeah. and not drop they call yeah. them drop pods but drop is not the right word they are no. shot they are shot they are fired <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is just absolutely nuts to think about but you know that it that's that it really describes how the marines go about their mission whether they're part of a rapid reaction force on on hercules star lifters you know uh bringing troops and vehicles you know um uh, rapidly you know from a base a jump away or they're deploying via landing craft um like valkyries from their um from their troop ships or or, or being shot out of the belly of them you know from from nails the, the marines have multiple ways to um, execute their mission you know which is uh really interesting you know really interesting really cool to think about you know they're, they're definitely not one trick ponies and all that's you know all uh, everywhere they go they have their own uh, air wing, you know, conducting, um, you know, bombardments and, and escorts, you know, for their ships, uh, uh, along with those bases and being, you know, either de- you know, forward deployed in their fleets or, or stationed back at Corin doing training, uh, the Marines are also found on Navy vessels. Uh, we, you, uh, the UE military and the Navy especially learned the hard way from the Tavar and, uh, and their use of the Prowler, um, that, uh, you, you don't want to get boarded. You want to have you know the the right people on your ship in order to um, to protect you from boarding operations, you know. And we know the the Vandal use. Um, do you remember the name of what their the, the Vandal boarding things are called? Spikes. They're called spikes. Yeah. yeah. They basically just like bore their way into the side of your ship, and you yeah. know a bunch of Vandal will jump out and mm-hmm. uh, and rate you know ra- you know uh, cause havoc on board your ship. And so that's why the Marines on board Navy vessels to defend against boarding, but also to conduct boarding actions themselves, um, you know, via maybe the Legionnaire, you know, we'll mm-hmm. see. So, you know, there's, there's still a veil of secrecy um, that shrouds much of the operations and workings of the Marines. You know, some things have been recently declassified. Um, Paul, I don't remember what that was called, but there's been a couple of things that came out uh, in the lore. There was like a, it's like the truth and uh, truth truth and government act or yeah. something like that. It's it's there, there's a it's the thing that the declassified the eclipse. It's the mm-hmm. same thing that declassified the eclipse. There's just a bunch of stuff that came out recently because people were like, oh, we should probably tell them about the all the the good and messed up stuff we've done in the past. Yeah, everything so. that occurred during the the reign of the Messers, we're gonna we're gonna lay that bare. And mm-hmm. but a lot of that includes what. Um, uh, the, the Marines have done, and there's still a lot that's classified, you know, but they're, they're, they're basically releasing things, making things unclassified all the time. That's how we've learned about so much of this stuff. Um, but the, you know, the, the, d- despite so much of their work being veiled in secrecy, uh, the Marines, you know, position as the, the empire's most elite warriors is, is very secure. Um, and while we only know about some of the exploits of, you know, units like six platoon during the second of war um, and, and other, uh, victories and, and successful missions that they've had since then. Um, you know, we, we know that they've been significant, you know, that they're a, a big part of the UE military, you know, and, and while they're not as famous as squadron 42, um, you know, that that's really part of their ethos. Uh, like you said, Paul, you know, uh, to, to serve the greater good and provide protection without requiring recognition. 
Um, right now, those Phantoms, the famous six platoon, they're currently deployed on the Vandal front line along with countless other Marines. Um, and so the people of the UEE can, you know, be rest assured that the the UEE, uh, the Marines are ready to fight, ready to protect them. Yeah. But that's all I've got on the Marines. Yeah. I I will say it's important to understand the Marines are terrifying. They are <laughs> the Marines are like if you are if you are facing the UEE Marines, expect like in game if you decide to piss off some marines you will be shot before you realize they're there like they will they will make sure the game if the game is anything like the lore usually they're pretty good about that if you are in a base and you've managed to piss off the marines you won't realize you pissed off the marines until you're already in your regen bed and by then you're probably already <laughs> dead um you, you always talk about how when the the AI is working well and the servers are fresh and they're like SEAL Team 6. Team six. That's that's Hurston security. Yeah. Just imagine what the Marines are like when they're on full, you know, ready to nuke you mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're on the wrong side of the law. Um, and uh, the the Marines are, are an interesting group because they are more myth and legend than they are, like, real. Just, just the presence of the Marines in some areas could just calm things down because uh like there's some uh it's important to, to to note that like marines are their own body in almost every way marines on naval vessels are not they 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 listen to the xo because they have to the captain and the xo because the, that's part of the chain of command and they do that but most xos and captains let the marine the leaders of the marines the lieutenant or the the uh the gunnery sergeant whoever whoever's in charge of the marines on that ship usually they let them do what they need to do because they are a completely separate breed. They they are the kind of people who um eat nails for breakfast kind of thing. They 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 are not the same as a typical like you you might hear some banter between some UEE Navy personnel, but like if the Marines are talking, something is happening. Like if you hear the Marines talking, then business is being done because they usually <laughs> won't be around you very often. It's very much the walk softly but carry a big stick. Yeah. You know, you can imagine. You know, it, it's it, it's one thing to have a a Bengal carrier, you know, arrive in orbit above your planet if you're not doing good things. Mm -hmm. um, it's another thing if uh, if it's a Marine Bengal carrier mm -hmm. or a Marine uh, like a, a troop assault ship. You know, because then you know, oh, they're not here to play around. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and they can change the the course of a of of an engagement or a battle without a shot being fired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like I said, the the navy will send in a Bengal carrier, and you can rest assured that you've got maybe a day because that Bengal carrier is not going to do anything until everyone is is assembled because it takes a long time to build up these forces. And when the navy starts; they're like a wrecking ball. When they push forward, they don't stop until everything's done. But they have to build that snowball up. They have to build that 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 force up, and that can take days, weeks, months to do. The Marines don't need that. The Marines just have they, they got a stick in a rock. You're probably going to die. And if, <laughs> if a they stick show in a rock up, and a box and an eight box of crayons, yes, uh, the red the red crayons, only the red crayons. Mm -hmm. Those are the best. Only ones. the red. Yeah, only the red. Um, Personal favorite. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank thank you so much for that. Yeah, it's it's. There's a little bit in there that I hadn't read because I had hadn't found the six platoon things. I'm gonna have to go back and do it, do a do a highlight on six platoon at some point, just because there's an. Entire, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really enjoyed that one. There, there's 
yeah, I, I hope we get more things like that because we do have a bunch of uh, of highlights on different, um, uh, like Navy squadrons, you know, mm -hmm. Squadron Two Fourteen, uh, Squadron Forty Two. You know, there's a, a number of different ones. Yeah, the seventy seventh, uh, all the bones. So they make uh, for really good reading, and the but the the six platoon one is actually decently long, and it's it's really really interesting. It's very cool because they did the not only they talk about the mission during um, the Tavaran war, and I didn't mention it just because I was going for more for the historical aspect, but the, um, the, the good doctor uh, mm -hmm. map for star Marine is actually um, from a Marine operation on it's Lear two, Lear right? Two. Yeah. Lear two. Yeah. With that, that, that crazy cult. scientist cult. Yeah, who, who created a <laughs> cult out of a terraforming operation um, and basically, the the Marines had to go and rescue. Um, I think they were they they were UEE surveyors or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, the, so, these so, surveyors were caught in between the the cult and the corporation that had started the operation to terraform this planet or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. and the you know six platoon had to go in and extract them, and that's what that map is about in Star Marine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lot of the stuff like uh, the the Echo, all of the other maps in Star Marine are all about historical marine events. Like uh, the Walls mm -hmm. of Massacre was a marine fight. The Marines are called in because stuff got really bad really quickly, and the Marines had to deal with it. Um, Is that the the station one where you EVA yeah, around? Right, the EVA around. Okay. Yeah, the both of them are. But the the Walls of Massacre is from OP Station Damien, which is where mm -hmm. like there was a. Uh, that's an entire different thing. That's basically the next Nexus was a pirate hub and they wanted to get rid of it. So they decided they're going to do an operation in it. And it was not a good operation. I mean, it was, they showed up with a Bengal carrier, the Marines and the advocacy together, working together, the, the Navy Marines and advocacy all working together. There's the pirates aren't going to win, but it like, it got cluster pretty quickly. And there was a station that was, that was built to kind of like settle people you know, people were coming in on new new worlds that they had just secured, uh, and the uh, uh, an old outlaw group that was part of that, uh, the Nexus came back and took over OP Station Damien. And uh, if it wasn't for one kid who managed to get the word out, uh, it would have been bad because they were just, just killing everybody. And then it was so bad that they had to call in the Marines, and the Marines I think it was like six hours that the Marines had to had to fight to be able to to clear that station, and it took it was like down to yeah. the last man. Uh, that was a a really good story to read really yeah. you know, uh, we don't realize that there's so much backstory between you know just behind a a a uh, a team deathmatch map for star marine yeah you know yeah it's not just a map it's a there, there's a whole story behind what happened here and you can see hints of what ha of that story in the map mm -hmm. you know the, the bloody when you put two and, and two together like yeah mm -hmm. Uh, and like, yeah, the, the six, I'm looking at the time it was published. It was actually published when The Good Doctor was released in 2018 originally. Oh, um, I had not connected the dots. Yeah. So that like they, they, what they do is they, they write these stories and then they, they, they release these like each new uh, uh, efforts. So like, for instance, we're getting Crossroads of Crime, which they said originally was going to be an advocacy group. I wouldn't be surprised if they turned that into a uh, Marine operation. Oh, yeah. Because it's... Uh, supposed to be like for theaters of war which is the first theaters of war map so yeah and we could i mean for every new map or whatever that we get there's going to be a story behind it more lore you know, maybe it, yeah <laughs> more lore thank goodness you know maybe more six platoon stuff maybe mm -hmm. uh maybe another unit will, will get some uh get their time in the spotlight i look mm -hmm. forward to it thoroughly um 
I do know, and this is just a little hint, is that there sometimes is also bounce back from Marines to the Navy because apparently the XO of the Stanton the uh, was in the Marines and then she transferred oh. to the Navy. Back to the Navy. Interesting. In, I think she, maybe because she was getting an XO position, she wasn't getting promotions in the Navy, so in the Marines, so she went up there. Um, there's, there's a bit of a dialogue about, about uh, her talking to the Marines and the Marines being like, you know, uh, ma'am, you know, uh, and she's just like, I'm, uh, you know, some gave her like her, her Marine rank and she's like, I'm the, I'm the XO now to like the battalion. And it's like, once a Marine, always a Marine. I'm going to work, I'm going to salute you as a Marine. So, oh, that's super cool. Yeah. I, I had no idea. That's, that's I mean, it, it kind of makes sense considering the Marines operate their own fleets, you know, that, you know, officers might go, um, might go back to the Navy, you know, and maybe like an exchange program, you know, mm. that would be a really, that's probably something that will come out of like another um, quantum computing thing. You know, you know yeah. what, in order to get our, our naval commanders, you know, our, our shipboard commanders more experience, we need to do an exchange program. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. This has been a, one of the longer ones, but it's just a very enlightening one because we got a nice, good, long, chunky thing about the Marines more than I even did in Chunk. my video, which is nice. Chunk. Um, <laughs> remember, go we'll go watch Pathfinder's podcast. It's live. When is it again live? We're actually uh, hoping to go live again here in the next uh, hour or so. We're going to do a recap of the, um, and I know this isn't live, but uh, we're going to do a recap of the um, letter from the chairman. From but the chairman. we usually. We we shoot for Mondays at let's see it's 8 p.m. Eastern is when we mm-hmm. we normally try and do episodes, barring real life schedules things happen. Okay. Um, and, but and uh, yeah, usually, uh, and it's it's uh, on YouTube and in Twitch, right? The the videos get posted to YouTube usually within a couple of days, um, but we record them live on Twitch um, on Nazareth's channel, so Twitch.tv uh, back forward slash backslash. Forward slash. Uh, Nazareth, uh, I think it's Nazareth YT. Yeah. N A Z E R I S I S Y T. I'll have it in the description for for those of you who need it. So, uh, all right. Thank you so much. Anything else, Tree? No. Thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed this. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I'm glad to to see my my future crayon eaters get the <laughs> get the respect get the, they deserve. Get the respect they deserve. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you check that out. We'll probably have Tree come back here at some point as well. Uh, talk with, with Al and Jail about other something something else as well. So thanks again. That'd be and great. Like I say every time, remember, Exostoria. Exostoria.